The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. Good morning, everybody. I'm your host, Vince Rocco, and you are listening to Good Morning New York here on the Voice America Network. Today's a special day. I'm going to be talking to my panel of broker experts for the full hour. That's it, for the full hour. You know, there are so many facets to this industry and so many different areas of focus needed to be successful, so we're going to tackle a few of them today. But first, we have a few uh, headlines making news in the real estate market. Manhattan apartment rents in May hit a five-year high of $3,300 a month, up 3.1% from a year earlier as the vacancy rate slumps to an 11-month low. Brooklyn rates, how, uh, rents, however, have cooled off after a toured growth last year going up nearly 9% at that time. Part of the Sony building in Midtown Manhattan will become luxury condominiums. Here we go. Developer Cherit Group has filed plans to convert a portion of the Philip Johnson Design office tower at 55 Madison Avenue into 96 condos. All this according to the Wall Street Journal. It's unclear, though, which floors would become condos, but the rest of the building is expected to be a high-end hotel or corporate offices. Last year, Cherit Group bought the tower for $1.1 billion in an auction. The sale of Penthouse 4 in Jared Kushner's Puck Building was finalized on May 29th, according to property records filed with the city last Monday. The unit in the Penthouse-only building at 295 Lafayette Street went for $28 million, or more than $4,500 per square foot. The penthouses in this building range from 4895 to 7,000 square feet. All of the penthouses include vault, brick ceilings, cast iron columns, and oversized windows. Three of the apartments have outdoor space. Senator Charles Schumer has enlisted the help of Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac in an effort to preserve affordability at Stuyvesant Town, Peter Cooper Village. The nation's mortgage financing companies has promised that they would not finance a deal that would convert the Manhattan affordable rental development into a luxury one. And this is according to The Times and The Wall Street Journal. Fannie and Freddie own a portion of the debt on that complex. That's why they're involved. 261 Hudson Street, the new 80-20 rental building, 80% market rate. 20% affordable, is being developed in Tribeca by related companies and is designed by architect Ismael Lea. In total, the 12-story, 168,000-square-foot building will have 201 units, 41 of which will be affordable. It will also offer amenities such as bike storage, a gym, a computer room, which have already been a source of controversy as Community Board 2 has expressed concern that the building amenities will be offered only to market-rate tenants a practice that has become increasingly common over the last year or so. Condo conversions of rental buildings usually come with a big sale, splashy marketing and amenities, or a ton of amenities, Um, but the Orleans at 100 West 80th Street is not that usual building. It's owned by David Sterling and Nora Lavori, a long-divorced couple who brought the building in the early 1980s when it was part hotel and part rental apartments. 
They now live in separate penthouse units and plan to put the building's 25 spacious apartments on the market as condos, pretty much as they are. According to the journal, prices will range from 2100 to 2400 per square foot. In fact, a seventh-floor five-bedroom with views of the American Museum of Natural History is going to be asking $6 million. The brick, stone, and limestone Beaux Arts building opened in 1898 as a hotel, and by the 1950s, it was split between 77 apartments and 43 hotel rooms. No listings are officially live yet, but uh, 20 homes will be put on the market for sale. The sponsor is going to be keeping five of them. After six long years of work, a revamped Washington Square Park is finally complete. It was featured in the New York Times this weekend in a piece that details how the storied Greenwich Village space has changed drastically. The picture painted is a positive evolution from an unsafe wonderland of drugs and general sketchiness to an idyllic retreat for sunbathers, kids climbing, uh, playground ladders, and frolicking in the iconic fountain. Isn't that something? So, as we said, we have our star panel today, and joining me is Justina Zika from Spire Residential. Niall Lundgren is in the studio with me this morning. He is president of his own firm, Dalian Realty. Rachel Altshuler from Douglas Elliman, Deborah Hoffman, Town Residential, and Parul Brombat from Core Group Real Estate. So, guys, good morning, and thanks for being here again today. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All right, so we're going to get started with some hot topics and... You know, some debate um, issues, and let's see what we feel about certain things. For example, you know, key industry players are watching to see whether the New York residential market is headed for doom or gloom. So, for example, on the doom side, developer anxiety is number one. While the new development market seems to be very strong, some developers are starting to show signs of anxiety and are displaying more urgency in selling their developments more than before. Why do you think that is? I think partly because prices are going up in general, and you know when developers see that, they wonder, they wonder how long it's going to take for interest rates to go back up um, as well in, in conjunction with, with pricing. And once the, uh, the interest rates go up a little bit, then obviously uh, pricing is going to have to adjust. So um, depending on how they feel, um, where the Fed is acting, that, that's generally going to be um, the reason why. Um, they're looking to get rid of things uh, or units sooner than later. Good point. So, so question here. So how is that affecting things like uh, transfer tax and mansion tax and all the negotiable items that buyers come to the table with their brokers and say, hey, listen, you know, so I sense there's a little sensitivity here or a little anxiety here. Is the developer negotiable? Well, I think what we talked about, you know, a couple of weeks ago is that the developers were generally saying that, you know, all of that was non-negotiable, right? And, and that seemed to be what was happening even just a couple of weeks ago or one or two months ago. So uh, it, it really depends on the developer and, and where they're at with, obviously, their, their bridge financing um, and what stage that they're, they're at. So really, I think it really depends. Guys out there, do you see this, uh, any of this as well? I mean, what do you think well, uh, is actually happening out there? Vince, um I just get the, the feeling that, you know, buyers are willing to pay quite a bit for the right properties, but it's not that they're willing to just overpay for anything at all. And I think that anything that is spectacular, wonderful, even at very large price points, we're seeing those things move. So the things that are sitting on the market, um, I think also are breeding a little bit of anxiety because perhaps they might just be slightly overpriced. And, um, and aren't, you know, sort of the, the top sort of choice of what a buyer is looking for. Um, and on those properties, I think that either the prices need to move just a little bit below so that they're palatable for the actual product, um, or there needs to be some negotiability on those other concessions. 
Yeah, going on what Farul just said, um, it's important, I think, also for the buyer's broker, not just those of us who are representing the developer, to know what stage the developer is in for the building. So, for instance, the first 15% of the units, that's when you have a lot of negotiability. In fact, we just did our first one on 146th Street, and the developer who originally said he was not going to negotiate on any concessions at all, he agreed to split the transfer tax. And that is only because we reminded him that you have to hit that 15% mark. So usually it's the beginning of the stage or in the end of the stage of the game. So it, it's important for the buyer's broker who's representing those buyers to know where they are in the game. Right. Well said, and, I, and I've seen that many times in the past myself. So here's another doom. The market seems crazier than it was in 2007. And we've touched on this you know, back and forth throughout the season here. But it seems like the market is too good to be true, at least for sellers. Low inventory is driving this frenzy. Bidding wars, all cash offers. Do you see buyers walking away from this market and renting until things cool down? Operative here, walking away from purchasing or making a purchase decision and heading more towards the marketing, uh, the rental uh, marketplace or renewing their leases because they're just feeling like they're tapped out of the sales opportunities. What are you guys seeing out there? I'm absolutely seeing that. Excuse me. I just had two buyers who I worked with throughout the winter and the spring who one of them was outbid by over $200,000 after they went $200,000 above the asking price twice and then a few other smaller deals. And they said, you know what? Our lease is coming up for renewal. We have an under-market rental, which we appreciate. We're going to sit it out for a year. We're going to renew for one more year. Let's see what happens next year. And just a week later, the same thing happened with another couple. Hmm. Yes, I, I, I would agree with that. Uh, same thing is happening with me. Um, however, I think, again, it's, uh, I think the frustration, uh, tends to be that there, there's just such a lack of product on the market and, uh, the buyers are just hoping for better options. That being said, I think the complication is that, you know, when we look at the horizon of what sort of new developments are coming onto the market, um, I believe, and, you know, our research team sort of really did some, some hard work to, uh, pull these numbers together, but it looks like there's only going to be about 2,000 units uh, that are new development coming up in about the next 24 months. So looking sort of at the numbers that are showing up, uh, you know, just to give you a relative perspective, in 2008, there were, I believe, about 9,000 new development units on the market. So if we're looking at 2,000 coming up um, over the next 24 months and increasingly I'm seeing a lot more people hold on to the apartment that they have, even if they're buying something larger or or even if they're moving out of town because people are starting to see the value of holding on to New York property, uh, that it, it just makes me concerned that a year down the line or even two, uh, the situation isn't necessarily going to be any better or different in terms of uh, selection. Let me just expand on this point for a minute because I think we're all basically seeing this in our businesses. And I think, well, I don't know, I'm asking. So people walking away from the sales market and people deciding to either renew their leases or, or you know, opt to rent because they want to wait till the market cools down. What specific element or component in the frenzy is bothering them? Is it the multiple offers? Is it the, is it the bidding wars? Is it the prices are too high? Or is it just the over all feeling of, you know, drama or emotion to get through what anywhere else in the world would be a simple process of buying a home. What, what do you think all of, of the above. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, I think there is a lot of drama, you know, and there's a, there's a lot of emotion. I mean, this is this is high stakes for a lot of people, and emotion plays a big factor in a home purchase. And when there's little inventory and somebody gets beat out once or twice, they start to reconsider the entire process. Um, and then, you know, some of them, I think I agree with the panel. I mean, it is a mixed bag. I've had buyers do the, the exact same thing. Um, but I think interest rates, again, is, is very is very crucial for people to understand. Those buyers who love the four and a quarter, four and, uh, you know, four and a half percent interest rates that they can get right now, those buyers are, are sticking with it. You know, they're, that's where they see a lot of value. And um, depending on, because it does take a long time to transact in New York City. And you're going you to accept that offer. It could take you three, four months to get a board approval, et cetera. Here's a word, um, ego. How much of ego is involved in this process in, in, in actual deciding to move forward or, or pulling back? It's, I think it's a big, a big factor. And, you, and you, one thing when you're representing a buyer, you have to, you have to literally sit them down and talk about getting on a little bit unemotional. You know, and sometimes, you know, you get, because there's so much information out there on Street Easy, you know, or, you know, just reading any of the real estate blogs, you know, some of the, the, uh, the buyers are so savvy that they think they know more than the broker. Um, and, you know, remember, we do this on a daily basis. You know, I talk to, you know, attorneys or whoever you may be, you're in finance. I say, what do you do on a daily basis? Well, you know, I do real estate on a daily basis. You got to kind of trust in, in, in our guidance that we're giving you here. But a lot of times, you know, it really depends on, on who they are. And if they have an ego, they could be very, very stubborn. And sometimes they could shoot themselves in the foot because of that. All right. Uh, one more doom, the, the credit clamp, okay? Loose credit was largely to blame for the market crash the last time, but this time it could be just the opposite as banks have clamped down on residential lending and buyers are often having trouble getting financing. Are you seeing this? I don't see buyers having a hard time getting financing. What I am seeing with people who are already in contract, they've been pre-approved, they're pretty much ready to go, there's something going on in the banks where they're taking a very long time to clear people to close, sometimes three or four weeks, which I haven't seen in a very long time, and I'm not quite sure what's going on. I haven't seen that either, and it used to really disturb me in new development because I think what they're doing is they're requalifying and requalifying and rechecking and rechecking. In my opinion, mm-hmm. once a file is um, done and, and clear to close, it should be a matter of days. In any event, let's stop right there for a second. We'll be back after these messages. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America channel. Don't go away. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. 
If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody. We're back with Niall, Rachel, Deborah, and Perul. So we're talking about... Um, the current state of the marketplace and some, you know, naysayers saying uh, things about, you know, the market heading towards another collapse and then other, others are saying absolutely not. So here's a boom, okay? The foreign buyer is still out there buying up Manhattan fast and furious. The Chinese, for example, as we've talked about many times on the show, are investing more than anyone. In fact, the Chinese lenders are also financing the construction of large condo projects. That's real interesting. So they're not only buying units, but now they're taking and putting the money on the back end and developing buildings. Do you see any of um, any change in your business with foreign buyers, or do you see a lot of foreign buyers coming around these days? I'm still seeing foreign buyers. Um, I actually met with a, with a foreign buyer recently um, from China, and it's actually a pretty funny story. He uh, he sat me down, and we had uh, we had breakfast at the the Gramercy Park Hotel, and he actually has an app on his phone where he could take a picture of your aura. It was, really? it was it was really interesting. Yeah, it was uh, it was it was an aura app apparently, and he took a picture. And apparently, I was blue and white, so that was good. Um, luckily, I had done some meditation the night before. He's an avid. Yeah, he, <laughs> he loves meditation. He was like, "Oh, look, you know, you have a very good aura." And I'm like, "Yeah, I did meditation last night." And he thought it was hilarious, and and we uh, very good rapport. And that was a key decision for him, you know, to 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 work with me. <laughs> Just as an aside, is that an Apple app? Uh, he actually had, the- it was an Android phone and Android. I, I tried downloading it on my Apple uh-huh. um, and it didn't, it, it's a, I got a different one than he has, but he, it, it's in Chinese. I didn't, I couldn't understand it. <laughs> Parole, how would the Chinese, how are the foreign buyers treating your business these days or are they? Right now I'm kind of slow on the foreign buyer side. So I, I feel that they're still out and about. Um, maybe not, it doesn't seem to be as frenzied as, as it was a few months ago. Um, but, you know, to, to a larger point uh, that you brought up in terms of, like, is the market, does the market seem to be slowing down or is this, a, you know, is this a bubble? And I feel like, you know, the last time we heard the word bubble was back in 2005, 2006. And it seemed that, like, that, that word had come up, every, you know, every single year from, like, 2003 or four onward for about four or five years. And then we inevitably did hit a market crash. In fact, some of it was obviously unforeseen. Um, however, um, you know, I, I feel like every market is going to be cyclical. Um, it's going to have its deltas, but it's about the general trajectory of what the market is doing. And, you know, earlier, as I mentioned, the sort of, you know, how much inventory is coming up. Um, I just think that if we pay attention to sheer numbers, uh, that the, the picture starts looking very different. And, especially with our foreign buyers who are extremely data-driven. I think it, it's the, the knowledge, knowledge is very much power. Um, the, the census is showing that uh, New York City is going to have 1.6 million more people between now and 2025. 1.6 million. That's Can't a even huge that. number. Wow. Yeah, wow. a huge number. And so when that many people are going to be coming into the city and we have lesser and lesser inventory, even when developers get nervous because land prices are eight, nine hundred dollars a square foot right now, um, what that says to me is, as much as we're selling things at, you know, two thousand plus a square foot right now, 
whatever is going to come up in the, after the next 24 months is going to be over $3,000 a square foot. That's the only way they can justify those land prices. So anybody who's concerned that they're overpaying right now and that, you know, they should wait this out, um, if you look at all the other numbers, unless something happens to change the market trajectory, uh, that doesn't sound, seem to be a wise, sound point of view. All right. So following up on what you said a bit ago, the stock market is still booming. Okay. And, and there's no secret there. And with an active stock market comes a very active real estate market. The market employs uh, an impressive $165,000, 165,000 workers in New York City, and they have to live somewhere. How many of these financial customers do you represent in your business, you know, through the course of the year? And do you still see a lot of them out there shopping post bonus? Yeah, I mean, I'd say, you know, a good, you know, 35%, 40% of my buyers are in the finance industry. Um, you know, some of the insurance industry are actually doing pretty well right now mm -hmm. as well, and I've been working with them. But, you know, it's not, I wouldn't say it's overwhelming, but, um, you know, it certainly is a, a big portion of my business. Uh, so when when, you, when we talk about stock market booming, I mean, do you do you hear these things from your customers? I mean, do you, do you feel like their decisions are, are based upon how they are doing in a particular year, because you know some people are extremely well healed, especially if you're at the top of the echelon with these with these particular profile of buyers. But you know others are not. So do you feel that it makes a difference if the if the market is rallying and their enthusiasm and their their you know want to buy is stronger? I mean, absolutely. I do. Yeah, it's, I do it's my definitely business. directly correlated. And I find that my my buyers who are in finance, probably about twenty five percent of my business, they are sometimes their own worst enemy because they analyze too much and, yeah. and, and then they lose time and then they lose out on something or, or it's just not an emotional thing for them. And a home can be an emotional thing. And so if you love it, come up. If you don't, then don't. It's very simple. But sometimes they, they actually analyze too much. Even when things are going well, they still do that. I don't In know fact, I would, I would agree with that 100%. I'm getting... I'm not getting a lot of pushback from the foreign buyers at all. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, once you sort of show them the numbers in New York City, plus the fact that, you know, we've all talked about how Manhattan market is a safe haven for them. Um, so I don't see as much pushback there, but it's almost always my hedge fund buyers or finance guys in general who are always sort of overanalyzing the numbers and then comparing them to national numbers when New York is such a different market it's a mm -hmm. different market as a whole, let alone I, – I personally think we can't even clump all of New York as one market, even Manhattan, because I think it's very neighborhood-centric as well. So, yeah, in fact, the foreign buyers, I find, they are so, like, full disclosure and upfront. They say, where do you need me to be to get this done? Even if they're all cash, even if they're financing, they say, where do I need to be to get it done? Which is interesting. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, let's move on to the next topic. So Queens is gentrifying, you know, and, and we have still maybe one or two smaller neighborhoods in Manhattan left to convert or gentrify whatever, you know, the, the West 30s, for example, being one of them. But for years, Brooklyn has been the um, uh, borough that's grown the most. Uh, but now it seems that prices go into the mid six figures. The average price for the first quarter of this year rose 7.3% from last year to $681,182. If you think Brooklyn is here to stay in terms of the success and the changes it has undergone in terms of public's perception of the borough, 
then Queens is right here too. So why do you think Queens is benefiting directly from Brooklyn's success? What what's motivating you know that motivating rather that market to move forward rapidly all of a sudden? It seems to be. I think there's buildable land, right? There's land that you can develop out there, and uh, developers can get in on a lower price per square foot um, than you know Manhattan or Brooklyn right now because of all the success Brooklyn's seen. So that's I think a big reason why you know folks are moving or developers are moving out there building, um, and that's and that's allowing you know a lot of buyers to move out there as well. Plus, you know you're, you're seeing you know incredible incredibly high price per square foot in Manhattan and Brooklyn. Right now, and uh, Queens is a is a surefire bet to get to get in at a lower level, especially if they understand that it is you know a market that is that is gentrifying, and um, there will be a value add down the line. And where is most oh. of this growth? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say. Also, I was just having a conversation yesterday with a friend who works for um, a hedge fund who that uh, invests in real estate development, and it's the fund was started by a superstar from Goldman. And uh, they are investing in a project in Flushing, uh, New York. And they brought it, he just brought up a really fascinating point that I, was, I had never considered or thought about before. And I think it's relevant to all of us on the panel and, and any of our broker, our broker colleagues that are listening. Um, and what he brought up was, was that, of course, there's the Chinese uh, market that we're seeing or foreign buyers that we're seeing here in Manhattan we're buying the super high-end properties, but there are, you know, wealthy Chinese people, not the ultra super wealthy, who are also looking for a place to sort of put their money. And they may be getting priced out in Manhattan. However, Flushing is definitely very much of an international crossroads. And so that is becoming rapidly the place that other foreign nationals want to purchase. All right, so we talk about flushing. What about a story in Long Island City? I mean, I know of, of several um, conversions and several uh, new developments in LIC, but what about Astoria? What about the rest of of Queens? Now, obviously, you know, the the far reaches of Queens, you have more housing and more suburban kind of lifestyle, but, you know, where the type of properties that we're all used to, apartments, you know, is Astoria, you know, kind of heading in the right direction as well? And we know Long Island City is. I mean, I'm hearing lots of talk about Queens all of a sudden, and it's just Amazingly, I know nothing much about that marketplace, and it kind of interests me to see why and where this is happening. What's going on in Astoria? Is there development there as well? Well, absolutely. Astoria, I find, has been it's kind of been hot for a while. I'm actually from Queens, so it's funny to see how hot Queens is becoming. Um, and I think that Ridgewood and Maspeth and all flushing, I mean, it's just crazy to me that people are venturing out to these areas. But I think that Buyers and developers have no choice at this point. So I think now is a really good time to get into Queens. Um, I think you guys saw the numbers on the article that Vince sent uh, us on Friday. It was just extraordinary that a, a median price of a co-op is one ninety nine. I mean, it's just like, where else are you going to get that? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see where Queens goes in the next few years, I think. How uh, overall, how accessible is Queens to Manhattan from a commuting perspective? So obviously, you're moving out to to that neighborhood for more affordable housing, uh, better price per square foot. So you still mm-hmm. have to work in Manhattan. How how accessible is you know for the listening audience out there is Queens to uh, the, Manhattan? The seven train is amazing. E and F train, which I grew up on, is basically twenty to I would say twenty minutes to a half an hour. You can get to Forest Hills or. 
um, Kew Gardens. And what's really important for Queens, because it is the largest borough, is to make sure that you're close to the train. So Jackson Heights, for instance, is like a super hot area now. And that's super close to the train as well. So I know that Massmith is a bus to a train, so it's important for buyers to figure that out for resale value. Rachel, let me ask you quickly before we go to break. I happen to like Jackson Heights, and, and you know, for me as an Upper West Sider, Jackson Heights represents a lot of pre-war, older buildings, mm-hmm. you know, larger apartments. Um, is that the draw to Jackson Heights, or is it other things? Uh, it's the melting pot of the borough, I think. Um, so I think the diversity and the pricing and proximity to the subway is really what's attracting people to, to parts like Jackson Heights. Yeah. All right, we're going to a break. We'll be back after these messages. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. All right, everybody, we're back. I'm here in the studio with Niall Lundgren. We have Rachel uh, Altschuler, Deborah Hoffman, and Perot Brombat joining me again this morning. We're talking about various uh, subjects uh, with regard to the New York real estate market, of course, being one of the hottest markets in the world, uh, this being a global show. People are interested in, you know, the good, the bad, the boom, the zoom, the whatever. Here's, here's, here's a topic that, you know, I was reading uh, over the weekend. We, we come across this often with our sellers. Does fast sell equal to cheap? So let's think about what that really means. If we sell something too quickly, what is your seller going to say? Well, the price was wrong. Maybe we should have had a higher price. So pricing property sometimes seems like trying to hit a moving target, which, believe me, uh, is true. But for brokers determining an appropriate um, asking price, it comes down to a combination of factors. One, you have to understand the marketplace that you're playing in. And as we just talked about, that means in New York anyway, different uh, neighborhoods. Know the characteristics and the trends of the market. Why do people want to live there? That's very important. And third, uh, looking at the comps in the building and the competition around you. So it's not only the the comps on like apartments in the building, it's comps on like apartments around the neighborhood. But there's still no one-size-fits-all formula for pricing property. Pricing is not a science, it's an art. Yet, in the current uh, residential market, which is characterized by a shortage of inventory and an abundance of demand, some sellers are questioning their brokers artistic abilities. 
So an overpriced property will languish on the market, but a unit that sells immediately begs the question, was it priced correctly or was it underpriced? Let's talk about that, guys, because, you know, as we go through, I mean, even soft markets, and of course, we're in a very hot market, but this always comes up. Did you price my apartment correctly? What do we say about that? I have to tell you, this just happened on Thursday. I had a seller call me. We closed on her apartment in February, and she just got a postcard that the identical apartment to hers, two floors up, same views, same finishes, it's a new development, everything, went for $200,000 more than hers, and she was furious. And the real problem here was she was a hoarder, and I could not convince her to empty her apartment. Here and we the go. Apartment, yeah, the apartment above her was fully staged, and I actually said to her at the time we were putting it on the market, is all the all your wonderful possessions here worth two to three hundred thousand dollars to you and she said i'll take care of it i'll take care of it she never did and but she was very angry when she called me this last thursday about the pricing well listen you know we we've talked about all the components in selling and staging and, and and readying an apartment to make it look better and i've said for 13 years that i'm in this business you know an apartment sells based on how it shows and an apartment sells based on you know, a lot of marketing activities, but when people walk in, they want to be wowed. Now, you don't have to have the most expensive furniture or the most, you know, expensive artwork, but it really comes down to that. And to your point, Deborah, on hoarding, I mean, I think oftentimes, especially in Manhattan, where people have lived in their apartments for many years, you know, and space is always an issue here, storage always becomes an issue. People don't understand that just because I'm putting an apartment on the market, I'm going to get top dollar. So, how do you combat that? I mean, we talked about this in staging. We talked about this in decluttering. But, you know, when you're having conversations about pricing and it's such a religious conversation with sellers, how do you get over, you know, the fact that they must listen and they must make these apartments show well? I recently had the same thing, uh, $150,000 uh, over um, the last selling price, which was the unit I was selling in maybe four months. And my seller was furious. But, you know, again, also market changes and, and, and buyers are either there with you or they're not there with you. So there are always conditions. What do you well, let's, this, what do you say? Um, well, for, for me personally, I think that both in terms of how your apartment shows relative to what's out there and given the way pricing is working these days, um, first and foremost, I mean, you know, to I, I feel Deborah's pain because. Uh, something that closed in February versus something that we're putting on the market now, even if they're equally attractive apartments, um, because the market is moving so quickly, um, you know, there is an argument to be had that it's, you know, if, if something was on the market in December or closed in February, that that even the market shifted since. So first and foremost, we have to educate our buyers on things like that, but specifically in terms of how their apartment sits relative to what else is on the market, I've actually taken my sellers out to look at apartments because I think that it is really important that they understand what their competition is and why I am suggesting what I'm suggesting. So if I feel that it's going to be a situation of them not achieving a number because of clutter or them not achieving the number that they have in their mind because they've become a bit unrealistic of what their property is going to fetch them, um, that it's really important for them to sort of see the relevant information as I know it. 
I think that's really interesting that you do that uh, parole. That's I think that's fantastic to, to like bring them back down to earth. Sometimes you need to do that because you know you see apartments online um, with pictures and everything like that. And, and when you get in the property, you know it, it does tell a different a different story. And you know getting in there live is is really important. I think what I do, you know, I talking about bringing you know sellers back down to to earth. But you got to also we talked about ego a little bit. Understand who your seller is. There's a couple of different things that I like to you know offer to potential sellers. Um, especially in this market. So there's one where you could price um, the apartment a little bit higher than where you're seeing the comps and see if you can actually achieve that um, that price. Another one is to price it aggressively, like at or below where the comps are, you know, and, and kind of create a little bit of uh, drama or a bit of buying temperature around a spe- specific apartment where the open house isn't two hours long. It's one hour long. And you're, and you're taking all of the buyers and you're putting them into a, the same room together at the same time and you're pumping the price up that way. So there's, there's different method, methods, I guess, of, of achieving a certain, you know, a, a price. And it depends on the seller and what they're comfortable with. And you've got to kind of, you know, find out wh- who they are and ask them um, those types of questions. I do that frequently and it, it, it proves to work pretty well. I like that one-hour open house scenario because I've done that multiple times. In fact, you know, my business partner did it yesterday for me while I was out of the city. But... I think it drives people to that apartment yep. in that time span. If they want to see it, they've got to see it, or it's not going to be here. Yep, exactly. You know, these two-hour-long open houses is crazy. Let's move on to the next topic, young and in debt in New York City. We've been talking for weeks about the uber-wealthy, the very wealthy in this town. But for young people moving to New York City, uh, hasn't made much mathematical sense for decades. The entry-level jobs don't pay enough. The internships don't pay at all. And the rents are prohibitive by uh, any sane standard and compared to any other city. Large student loan debt, for example, follows them to uh, the after-campus life in New York City. My question to you guys, why are students and young adults attracted to life in New York City? What, what brings people from outside in? And it's important to know because as we maneuver through real estate or the real estate industry in this town, uh, again, a global-focused real estate marketplace, New York, why are students and young, you know, young people attracted to the city when they know up front they really can't afford to live here? What is it about New York? I think first, I mean, for example, New York City is, you know, the place to be, right? It's what it's the biggest city. Um, and, you know, in general, if you're here, there's more and more opportunities that are going to um, happen. If you're on, you're standing in the lobby of your building, you know, there's a, there's a degree of knowledge spillover where you could potentially meet somebody just on the street or in your lobby, which can allow you to get to um, a new job. One of my buddies who works in finance, you know, he couldn't really afford in his entry level uh, finance job to live in a, a very nice building. But he took the smallest studio in a rental building. He wore a very nice suit every single day. He met a managing director um, at a top tier bank and, you know, built a relationship with him in the elevator over the course of two years. And then, boom, he got that job. You know, I'm not going to say that that's going to happen in Kansas City. You know, that's something that happens in New York City. To your comment, though, Niall, you know, you said he took a small apartment, you know, in in a whatever building. In other cases, are they sharing with multiple roommates just to get by or just to pay the rent because the the income is not there at the moment? Yeah, I think that I think that's that's clear, right? I mean, he his his situation, he took a studio, but with most recent college grads, you know, that's usually used guarantors. They're usually taking a one bedroom, they're putting up a pressurized wall, and they're flexing it into a two so they could live in that doorman building in a nice location. But that's what you're seeing across the board with a lot of these recent college grads. So let's talk about yeah, lifestyle you know for a second. You know what's complicated with the wall? Is, um, is now actually New York City's cracking down on temporary and pressurized walls. So actually, I sort of feel the pain for, for some of these younger kids who really at this point 
have to put up bookshelves and, you know, to separate spaces because the buildings won't allow pressurized walls because of, of there being a lot more, um, a, a lot of, lot more sort of regulation around them. Just, just so the, the folks out there understand what a pressurized wall is, um, in New York City, you have a, you know, a, a, a large room that you can cut into two rooms, for example, for roommate purposes. And they're what are called temporary walls that can be installed to make one room two so you can share easier. Um, so where are these young people finding jobs in New York City? I mean, the job market has gotten better uh, through the years as the economy has increased. But where are these young folks finding jobs? I think there's a stable um, in the obviously of, of analysts coming in in the finance industry. I mean that's that's a given. There's so there's, mostly financial people. Yeah, okay. you're always going to see that. But I think what's what's really interesting and what we're seeing now, especially within my firm across the board, is um, a lot of folks in the technology um, industry. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, there's becoming Silicon Alley. You mm-hmm. know, in in the Flatiron area, and a lot of tech jobs are popping up in New York City. So you're seeing a lot of that as well. Where, um, guys, where, what neighborhoods are they coming into? I mean, we talk about more affordability in Queens, a little more affordability in Brooklyn or some areas of Brooklyn. But where are most of these younger folk coming in to live in uh, New York City? I'm seeing a lot of people coming to Washington Heights. Washington Heights, many parts of it have been a stable neighborhood for a very long time. Musicians who work in Lincoln Center have a 20-minute commute on the A train. It's very close. Many teachers live there, and there are many young people who are coming in as teachers, and they're still getting shares in Washington Heights, in Yorkville. Uh, sometimes Morningside Heights, Morningside Heights has gotten a little pricey for them. I think the other uh, theater industries also are advertising and and um, fashion, and um, I feel that at least you know most of I'm seeing a lot of lot of that contingency and, and also the investment banking contingency really uh, sort of veer towards Brooklyn, and even if they're going as far as Bushwick, um, just because, you know, the culture of Brooklyn has become sort of this young, cool restaurant going out, but not not the, an expensive going out vibe. It's more of a, it's more of a sort of a hipster vibe, right? So uh, that seems to be very much from a cultural standpoint, what seems to be attracting uh, the, the younger droves of, of, uh, of people moving in. All right, guys, we have to take a break. Uh, we'll be back after these messages. You are listening to Good Morning New York on the Voice America channel. We'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Put Blue Realty Group to work for you. Blue Realty Group is a full-service luxury real estate brokerage firm in Manhattan. With our global reach, unrivaled marketing capabilities, and veteran team, Blue serves some of the world's most exclusive and high-profile buyers and sellers. Visit us today at BlueRealtyGroup.com. At Blue Realty Group, we feel that people matter and results count. Our mission with you is to meet and deliver expectations to drive the results you want. We're ready now. Visit BlueRealtyGroup.com. That's B-L-U-RealtyGroup.com. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com.
You are listening to Good Morning New York, Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to vrocco at bluerealtygroup.com. That's vrocco at blurealtygroup.com. Now, back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. Just a program note here. Beginning July 1st, two weeks from now, the show is moving from Monday mornings at 9 a.m. Eastern to Tuesday mornings, 9 a.m. Eastern. And we'll talk a little bit about that later on. But I'm back with Niall, Rachel, Deborah, and Perul. Okay, so a segue from the young folk, the, the, the young people coming into town and their affordability. Here's a segue. It seems that many young people in New York City are seeking neighborhoods in the outer boroughs like Brooklyn and Queens, as we've discussed. And their favorite means of transportation is the bicycle. So as people see more affordable real estate in New York, they are being pushed deeper into the neighborhoods that were once considered way out of the way. Since 2007, the city has carved out more than 350 miles of bike lanes in the five boroughs and more on the way. Citibank, for example, as we all know and love, has installed thousands of pay-as-you-go bikes throughout the city, and it has become a big hit. Do any of you ride city bikes? I ride city I bikes. I do. You do love it. Yeah. <laughs> the one thing though is that it, no, it, I need to know why. If you can't I get not. if you can't get parking, you're kind of like you know if all, all the the bikes are filled up, you have to ride around and find another parking lot. It's that, annoying. A friend of mine said that to me just yesterday because yeah. you show up to these these lines of bikes yeah. and there was an unavailable spot and you've got to go searching. So yeah. here goes the the timeliness to wherever you're running. But 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 why do you guys ride these bikes? I'm I'm curious. Well, I have to admit, part of I it have, is also just going green. You know, it's just. Um, I feel that it's it's a fun mode of transportation, especially this time of year when the weather is so perfect. Yep. Um, and a few years ago, actually, I don't know if you guys caught this, but they had done an article on professionals who ride their bike uh, to workplaces, and there were certain brokers in, in the city who were featured um, and, and were known to be seen on their bikes as they go to their showings. Um, so really, I mean, especially for us who are so mobile all the time, um, I think bikes are kind of fun, and and you know you feel like you're getting your exercise. You don't necessarily have to go to the gym later on. Um, so even if you're not in the outer boroughs, it's sort of I don't know. It's it, it's definitely a very um, easy thing to use now that there's city bikes in practically every other street corner. All right, but here's my opinion. I mean, I I I love to ride bike. You know, when I'm a spinner, I like to spin in the gym, and I you know whatever. I was just actually talking to a friend uh, yesterday uh, about getting a new bike, whatever, but. You know what I concern myself with, especially during the week when I have to go to work? I don't want to sweat. You know, it's kind of like you get up, you shower, you get all dressed. You don't dress today, but you get all dressed. And you get out on that bike and you think, you know what? This is, I don't want to sweat. I you think know? it's more for like mid-range distances between like, all right, am I going to take the subway to go all the way uptown? Or right. if I'm going to grab a cab to go, you know, 20 blocks away? You see a city bike right there and it's like, all right, perfect. You don't have to overexert yourself. And do that. I'm not going from you know downtown Fidei all the way up to the Upper East okay, Side. No way. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> well, I was just going to ask. It'd so be a has, little grimy otherwise, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, well, so I was just going to say. So has biking really replaced the dependency that we all have, forgetting about our jobs in real estate, but as New Yorkers, dependency on. The subway trains. I mean, I don't think that's ever going to change. Trade-off? I don't think it's ever going to change. I mean, maybe in the Agreed. outer boroughs, but in but in Manhattan specifically, you know, I think it's more of like. You know, folks like us who are kind of out and about just hustling around, 
you know, it's more of just uh, something cool to do, and it's different than hopping in a cab or going going underground into the the, the subway. Can you imagine what the subways are going to look like with 1.6 million people coming in before, what was it, parole? 2025, yeah. Crazy. I mean, granted, the number is all the boroughs, not just Manhattan, but obviously, I mean, a huge number, needless to say, are going to be our typical New Yorkers, you know, so... Listen, we're a city on the run, and I was in Paris last fall, and I, I remember and it was right after we, we did install the city bikes, and they have a similar uh, bike situation. I don't remember who sponsors theirs, but they're gray, and you can't miss them because they're all over the place on the streets of Paris just like they are here. You know, my other thing is, um, or, or people actually have complained to me, when you're in the parks, when you're walking your dog, walking, running, uh, skating, whatever you're doing, are bikes dangerous because you, you can't tend to maneuver through the, the walking paths or whatever in Central Park because you've got people zooming by you all the time. Again, city on the run, we come up with lots of different things to keep our interest moving. But what about the danger factor? You know, I open a cab door and some, a biker goes flying up in the air because, you know, he doesn't seen pay it attention. Right. I've seen that happen. I have too. And yeah. when you're biking, you have to be literally, every time I see a cab stop, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at it like, are they going to open the door? Are they going to open the door? Exactly. I was on 2nd Avenue um, <laughs> in this village watching the uh, Italy-England game on Saturday. And uh, I was at Numero 28, which mm-hmm. is um, on Second Avenue. And literally, I was just outside watching on the projector screen, and there was just bikes flying by. Just all I mean, you really have to be careful now as a pedestrian. Flying by, literally. It's, it's just unbelievable. Okay, cultural diversity in New York City, guys. Often people assume that to experience culture in New York, you have to go to a specific neighborhood. But that is no longer the case. I find uh, I learn more about the world through meeting people and engaging them in dialogue, however briefly, and they do by visiting different neighborhoods or areas. The beauty of the city it's, is it's a melting pot. And unlike anywhere else on the planet, people from across the globe flock here. Each new city dweller adding to our metropolis's overall diversity. Historically, New York was a hub for immigrants, and it remains so today. As many as 800 languages, I was kind of surprised at that, are spoken throughout the five boroughs, and about 36% of the population is foreign-born. Meeting someone from another country is commonplace, often uh, as excited as foreigners are to embrace New York as their new home, they're eager to share stories from their past. For example, you know, when you're in a taxi cab, cab drivers from around the world love to report on their comp- on their countries. Yeah. <laughs> I sit there sometimes bleary-eyed in the morning at 7.30 running to the radio studio, and this guy wants to wax philosophical about, you know, whatever, his politics in his country. And I'm like, dude, <laughs> I'm tired. But when you listen, you get some good information. Do you guys do you guys experience this? So we go from bikes to taxi cab drivers. What? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, personally, I love it because I grew up in a small town in Pennsylvania, and um, it's just amazing to me that you know when I'm in a different part of the country, uh, people have guessed me. And I mean, if anybody has ever seen me, you know I look on a hundred percent Indian. It's it's unmistakable. And yet, anywhere else in the country, um, I've been called, I've been asked if I'm Italian, Greek, Colombian, et cetera, and which, you know, they're all beautiful people and I welcome it as a compliment. However, um, in New York, it's just your average person and, and their understanding of the world is just so unique and broad, uh, in, in relative to the United States because I feel the country is a bit isolated on, isolated on this side of the pond. And um, as much as sometimes Americans get judged for not knowing, you know, world geography and culture and whatnot, I think it's, it's distance more than anything else. Um, however, in New York, you don't feel so far away. 
What about your local bodega? You know, you come home and you do what I call the white bag shopping because, you know, no one here grocery shops for a week like our parents used to and stock up the refrigerator and the cupboards. You know, you know, you pick up whatever you want that night for dinner in your little white bag. I walk into my bodega and there's always, you know, something, you know, some new story, some uh, this happened today or that happened today. Again, from a very, you know, uh, foreign flair, whoever owns these stores. Do you get good conversation going in your local bodega? I feel like right now, I mean, it's with the, with the World Cup going on, um, oh, go. conversations, yeah, conversations about international, this international cross-culture uh, interaction is at, a, at such a height right now. Um, you know, I've, I've been out watching matches um, just everywhere in the city, out and about in the last few days, and it's, I mean, it's just, I'm mm-hmm. speaking of cultural diversity, I think this is one of the, one of the best times to experience it for sure. I have to say, you know, one of the things I like best about being a New Yorker is the the cultural diversity because I came from a small town, you know, up, upstate and, you know, everybody is sort of vanilla and you come to New York City and I'm here for, you know, a bunch of years and it's just interesting because you just don't know. You walk out the door every day and I think that's part of why we all as New Yorkers love what we do and what we you know, who we talk to. So regardless of where you eat, shop or walk, to live and breathe in New York City means coming into contact with people from all over the world all the time with a simple question, where are you from? I mean, we go through this at least once or twice a day. Is it possible to unlock the stories of our city's colorful faces, all of which contribute to our city's greater story? If you're ready to listen, New Yorkers will take you on that cultural trip of a lifetime that easily outshines the typical guided walking tour, I think. So, you know, in closing, what happened to the neighborhood restaurant? You know, your favorite spot in the hood it seems more now more than ever your favorite to-go place has closed, leaving you on a hunt for a new regular spot. Uh, a recent article in the New York Observer uncovers the reason behind the surge of restaurant closures, blaming high rents and low menu prices. There is much truth to this claim. Restaurants have a hard time covering operational costs, and given the current rent hikes, it's no wonder they are forced to close up shop when landlords come and raise the rent. A favorite Greenwich Village um, place called Grace Papaya, 28 years old, closed its stores in January after a rent hike. No other reason. It's a prime example of this phenomenon. With neighborhood favorites who bank on their loyal customer base closing, perhaps newcomers can figure out the right recipe for success. I think we all walk home sometimes or walk to work or whatever we're doing around our neighborhood, and we see that our neighborhood favorite place, whatever it might be, is gone. What do you guys think about that? I mean, it's really, it's a, it's a, it's something that as a New Yorker and I love change, but that kind of gets a little crazy sometimes. We have about one minute left to go. I think, I think it hurts. You know, I, I lived in Brooklyn for a while. You know, I, there's a couple of places out there, Dominican places um, that I, I absolutely love and they're amazing. I go there uh, every time I'm in Brooklyn, uh, but then you come to you know Manhattan, and you see they they are disappearing, and you know the landlords are looking for more credit tenants um, nowadays because it's gonna you know they want to refi out and pull equity out of their building. You know that's where they're gonna get it. Okay, guys, we have to end. So good morning, New York. We'll be back next week. Uh, until next time, thank you for joining me, and I look forward to being with you next Monday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific time, live on the Variety Channel here on Voice America Network. You can always catch the show later in the day or anytime on our network, VoiceAmerica.com. Remember, you can tweet me at Vince Rocco, or find me on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in this week. 
Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Monday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones. We'll be right back. 